Oh, well, that one's done with me already. Really? You, usually it's, I have to get loud first before they start running away. But see, there are go kids right there. Thought I was crazy. So if you're just joining us this week, uh, we're in the middle of a series called A Beautiful Mind, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Last week, we talked about fighting the right battle. We talked about the forces that are working against us from the outside, the darkness that's from the outside that's working against us, and the forces from within that are working against us. We talked about refusing to be offended. That was one of my big ones. And I got texts from several people this week going, do you know how hard it is not to be offended? This was not the week to start being not offended. And, and my response is, yes, it is hard. It is a transition because we live in a world where I think we often feel like being offended or we look for reasons to be offended or upset or angry about something, somewhere, somehow, or someone. And so it, it was tough. I get that. We talked about reminding yourself of your treasure, reminding yourself that the Lord has made you beautifully and wonderfully, and He has contained within you the spark of life that God has given you. And if you've given yourself to Him, He's also given the Holy Spirit to help you, to aid you in this process. Again, doesn't make it easy, but makes it possible. We talked about don't be unsupervised. What happens when you're not supervised? I'm not going to say it because I said it last week. If you missed it, listen to the audio. I try not to discuss those things twice in, a week, in two weeks. But um, if you are unsupervised, meaning if you are not living within the grace and the guidance of the Lord and your decision-making processes, um, you tend to make bad choices. I do. I make bad choices a lot. We talked about it this morning in youth class. We talked about me making a choice to, as a teenager to race somebody in a car, right? And I was like, I'm taking a shortcut. I'm going to beat him because he was driving an Audi and I was driving a Plymouth, right? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. So I took a shortcut. And as I went down between these two buildings in an office park, um, there was a really steep ramp and I went down it and I, I you know, Dukes of Hazard, you get airborne. Yeah, well, you know, they keep driving after they hit the ground. I did not keep driving because I left my oil pan behind me. It didn't work as I had hoped it would work. And that's what happens when I'm not supervised, okay? When I'm not allowing God to make the choices and help me understand how to make the right choices and to live within his grace and his thoughts and his perspective. We also talked about fleeing from sin, fleeing from those things that will drag you back into a mess, that will keep your mind from becoming the beautiful thing it is intended to be when it's fulfilled by the purpose and presence of the Lord. Are we all caught up now? We are all caught up now. That's great. This week, we're going to move from the forces against you to the weapons to fight against it. We're going to move away from one and into the other. We're going to stick in the same scripture we've been in. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read them. They'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to read them. It says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God. For the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive 
to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Get used to that scripture. We're going to do it again next week because there's a lot to pull out of this, a lot. Last week, I said we talked about the forces against. Now we're going to talk about fighting, how to fight it. But first, I want to talk about a word in there, strongholds. Can anybody tell me what a stronghold is? Say again. A fort? A fort is a great stronghold, right? It's a, a, a dictionary definition will be a place that has been fortified so as to protect against attack is a fortress, right? It would also say a place where a particular cause or belief is strongly defended or upheld, okay? So where we defend something. And I think the problems with strongholds in our lives, which clearly given to the Scripture, we need to destroy, right, are that we end up defending, strongly defending strongholds we really should not defend. They are places that we run to when we feel like we are backed into a corner. Have you ever been backed into a corner? Yes? When I was a, a kid, my first job was delivering newspapers. And uh, I, I had this crazy route that was about 12 different streets. I know they don't do that anymore, but it's okay. It was about 12 different streets. And I would go off to these different places. And in the wintertime, my mom would drive me from one street to the next to save me the, the freezing of riding my bike or walking. And, and so she would drive me over to a block and drop me off, and I would catch her at the end of the block. I would swing back around and catch her. And th- we had this one house that was through the woods and in the middle of nowhere compared to any other house. It was a city, the middle of nowhere's relative. But it was dark with no lights except for the porch light. And I'm delivering newspapers what time of day? They're like 5 a.m. I'm delivering newspapers. They all had to be on the porch by 6. Had to be, okay? So I was up at 4.15 rolling and rubber banding newspapers so I could toss them. So I'm walking, um, I'm walking out and I, I, I see the light of the house, the porch light, because at least they left their porch light on for me, right? And I could see, and then I see this shadow walk across the pathway. And I'm like, oh, it's a cat. This is not where this is headed. So I go, I go, hi, kitty, how are you? Trying to make friends with it, right? And, you know, it was not happy with me, and it must have felt scared. But it wasn't a cat. It was a raccoon. And it starts just blowing a gasket, hissing at me and making all kinds of funny noises and running at me. Well, I hadn't delivered the newspaper yet. They did not get their paper that morning (laughs) because I chucked the paper and I booked it for the car. I'm running from a raccoon. Come on, really? Did I need to run from a raccoon? I didn't, but I ran from the raccoon and I get to the car and I'm banging on the window and I'm like, mom, it's chasing me. She's like, what? I'm like, it's a raccoon. My mom doesn't let me in. She starts laughing hysterically. Because that's my mom. <laughs> but that raccoon clearly felt like he was backed into a corner. He clearly felt like I was a threat to him, right? And his response was to what? Fight, right? His response was to look scary, scream at me as best a raccoon can, and fight and say, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. 
Sometimes I think that when we feel like we're physically backed into a corner, we do one of those two things. We, we run or we fight. Um, Joshua chapter 20 talks about cities of refuge that were designed for people that felt like their life was in imminent danger, usually because they'd done something they shouldn't have done, but um, they could run to this city of refuge. They could hide there until, basically, until the people that wanted them dead all died, <laughs> right? Right? Or, or until uh, the judge that was currently in charge died, and then you were free to go without any repercussions. It's rather interesting process, but it shows the need for a refuge. It shows the need for a place to hide if you're physically threatened. Emotionally, uh, we also have refuge. We seek relationships at times of stress and difficulty and problems. Sometimes I know a lot of people that seek a lot of relationships they shouldn't seek. I've certainly sought relationships that I shouldn't seek. Can I say that three times really fast? That I shouldn't have. They are um, ones that are not healthy for me but there's something, there's something. There's somebody who's willing to talk when I needed somebody to lean on, right? There's somebody who's um, willing to be there for me when things are bad, but, it, but, but they weren't always the right people. They were not always the best people to lean on, but I needed that refuge, I needed something. We take refuge when we feel like we're backed into a corner mentally. Um, I can do a lot of mental gymnastics to make my mistakes feel like somebody else's fault. <laughs> right? The reality is me bottoming out that car, you know, I was like, dude, if you hadn't been driving an Audi, I wouldn't have done... That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? That's dumb. But those, those are the kinds of things I think we're capable of doing. We are really good at blaming others for mistakes that we make. And that's really a way to protect our pride. That's what it's all about. It's all about protecting our pride. It's a long-held thing. God found them in the garden having eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, right, of good and evil. And what's the first thing Adam says? It's her fault. He doesn't just, he double dips. He doesn't just say it's her fault. It's the fault of the person you put here, God, right? He double dips and blames her right out of the gate. Blames God, blames her, blames anything. Then she turns around and blames what? The snake. She turns around and blames a snake. A snake. It's like me blaming the raccoon, right? It's not his fault that I cornered him. It is what it is. It was a decision that I made. Me bottoming out my car, a decision I made, right? Me um, connecting with people that were not good for me emotionally, those are decisions I made. And blaming people for those things is, is, is a long-held tradition in what it means to be human. And we have to be careful of those things. The problem is that we are seeking safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety, physical safety. We're seeking safety from what we perceive to be a threat that we can't get out of. And the problem is that Satan often leverages those things against us. When we seek the wrong things, when we seek refuge or we seek safety, we are actually building strongholds that keep us away from God. And we are making decisions that uh, we believe are rational and practical and right and the good thing to do, but at the end of the day, they're not healthy for us. 
Sometimes we make them because we believe there's no other way out. We believe there's no other way out. I had a person that used to work for me that used to call off work once a week. Once a week would call off work. And it was always something, right? I had a flat tire, okay? You had a flat tire, things happen. Um, I have finals tomorrow. I didn't study for those yet. Now, how long have the finals been on your schedule? Right? Okay. But to them, valid excuse, valid reason, right? To run away from what, what they needed to do. And they felt like that kept them safe. They felt like they couldn't change it. I can't change that. I, I can't change my final. Yes, you can. You could study for it yesterday or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, right? You could start then. But we all make decisions like that. Dr. Tony Evans says a stronghold is a mindset that accepts a situation as unchangeable even though we know it is against the will of God. Do you ever make decisions that you know are not necessarily God's will and yet you make them anyways? Because in the moment, it feels like the right call. Or in the moment, it makes you feel safer for that moment in time. Yes? No? Do you not have that issue? Maybe I'm the only one. To make that call, it's, it's, you're in a situation where you're going, do I have to confront somebody over something that's going on in their lives? Do I really feel like I should tell them, I care for you, I want to help you? This, the big elephant in the room thing we looked at a few weeks ago on video. But I choose not to, even though there's that little voice inside that says, you should tell them. And you don't because it's safer and easier not to. It's just safer and easier. And so that's why we do it. Let me show you a cheesy video, but it's the best one I could find, so we're going with it. Um, I th I, sometimes I think if, if God only shows me the, this video and it's the only one, then this must be the one we need to see whether I think it's cheesy or not, right? Okay, so let's watch this video. Let's watch what these strongholds can look like in your life. I'm so tired. I may look fine, but if you could see all that I'm carrying, you'd know that there is nothing fine about me. And my burdens are barriers. Pride, hate, envy, doubt, addiction, fear. I hardly even notice when they close off another part of my life. Just one more brick to add to the load I'm carrying. Weighing me down with every step I take. in my life, but at the same time, I love them so much that I just can't escape their grip. I can hardly imagine what life would be like without them. This is pathetic, but I'm almost afraid to try. 
No, I've seen it time and time again. Every time I convince myself that there's nothing better for me, God shows up and shows me glorious possibilities of what could be. These incredible passionate visions of what life would be like if only... If only what? That's the big question. I don't know what needs to happen in order to grasp life to the fullest. It's like I can see it, and it's just barely out of reach. But there's this wall of... of me that keeps getting in the way. so badly to believe in that other life. No, not just believe, I want to live it. I just need to break through. I just want to escape. So, did you see anything up there that maybe applied to you? You don't have to tell me what. I don't want you to tell me what. But, those, but, but what did he say there? He said those are things that he hates in his life, but at the same time, what? Say what? He, he hates them, but he can't let them go. It's, he says he hates them, but he love, at the same time, I love them so much, I just can't escape their grip. In fact, he goes so far as to say he's almost afraid to try. But what was really interesting to me, and the reason I kept that video, even though I was like, this is so cheesy, is it wasn't cheesy? Oh, that's good. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Then it's just me. Okay. Is that as he was dealing with all of these things in, the, in his life, he was carrying them along. And did you notice as he built the wall higher and higher and higher, what disappeared? The cross. He couldn't see God anymore. Strongholds are those things. They are those things in your life that if you carry them and you hold on to them, whether they be guilt or anger or lies, you lie to people because it's easier and safer to lie to people to protect your pride. Those are the things that we build our own walls between us and those are the bricks we use. Those are the bricks we use. You know, Jesus tells his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, if, if you want to go to God in prayer and you hate your brother, what do you have to do first? You have, I'm sorry? You have to go to him and ask for forgiveness. Why? Because that's a brick in the wall. That's a brick in the wall between you and God. That anger, that hate, that resentment, whatever that is, it's a brick between you and God. Many of us wonder why our relationships with God aren't what we hoped they would be or want to be 
why we're not growing or transforming or becoming something new, that the promise of the, of the gospel is that we will be that. We will be a new creation. We are something brand new. And yet we struggle to get there. We struggle to reach the point of having a beautiful mind that is cross-centered, that is focused on the radiance and the things of God. And a lot of it's the bricks we put there ourselves. It's the wall that we build, the things that we hold on to, the strongholds that we make because they give us some kind of sense of safety or they make our pride swell. But the problem is that all of those things are far short of what God would have us know and become. So we're going to talk about getting rid of those things. We've identified them now, right? The things in your life that you hold on to, the bricks that are making the wall between you and God. Eric Mason in his book, Unleashed Bible Study, says there are three types of strongholds. The first is personal. Personal strongholds. Personal strongholds are areas of bondage that are reinforced by personal nurturing. They're bad mindsets. Bad mindsets, bad attitudes that have been nurtured by our fallen affections. They take the form of emotional strongholds, including anger, depression, bitterness, and disappointment, and they focused on past circumstances. Have you ever been around somebody that always focuses on what used to be? Well, it used to be like this, or it used to be like that. Why can't it be like that again? Interesting, history kind of moves forward, right? Time moves forward. Nothing will ever be like it used to be. But we hold on to those things sometimes. Their guilt is one of those things that shows up in a personal stronghold. If you're guilty about something that you've done before in your previous life, guess what? You're a new, I've said it already today, a new creation. It's not the same life. That same life will come back and bite you. It will constantly remind you, that force of darkness will remind you, you were this, you did this, you, you've done this. But the, at the end of the day, that's not who we are and who we're called to become. But this personal stronghold, this guilt can keep us from seeing the light that God has put before us. You are not the sum of your mistakes. I am not the sum of my car accidents, James, who won't ride with me anywhere because I've told him too many stories. I don't blame him. Do you ever yell at someone for no reason? Do you ever yell at your kids or a family member and then later go, why did I do that? I had no business yelling at them. Could be a personal stronghold. Could be some anger built up somewhere over something. Maybe they took a shot at your pride. Maybe they pointed out your past mistakes. Maybe it's one of your kids pointing out that you're doing the same thing you just told them not to do. I'd be lying if I said it never happened to me. But dad, you said, oh, got me. I hate it when they get me, right? And sometimes we yell to try to cover that up or we get angry. Those are personal strongholds. Proverbs 26.11, I was talking with somebody about that this week. It's one of my favorite texts. 
I've got a bodily function thing going on here. So this one is, as, dogs, as a dog returns to its vomit. This is in the Bible. Okay? Look it up. So also a fool repeats his foolishness. Personal strongholds are us reliving our foolishness. They are us returning to our... I'm not going to say it. It's already on the screen. Our what? Our bad bad things. They are us returning to it. Okay. There's a rule in my house. If one of our kids vomits, it's Heather's job to clean it up because I can't. Because then there will be two of us, and that's bad, right? I have other issues I get to deal with. I don't do that one because it smells gross. It's nasty. And yet, when we allow those things of the past to inhibit what we are intended to become in God, we're returning. People who live in the past and are, are, why couldn't it be this way before? Why can't I get back to this? Why can't I get back to that? Or if they're guilty and they're going, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? Why, 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 why? They're returning to their vomit. They are. They're returning to their foolishness and reminding themselves of how bad they smelled and it smelled at the time. They're reminding themselves of how bad they felt at the time. Guess what? That serves no purpose. Right? If you give up on changing the past, what are you giving up on? You're giving up on changing the past. You can't change the past. It's a, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. You cannot change the past, can you? Who has a time machine? Who built it? Justin. Lies, Justin. It has to be real, not just in your head, okay? You can't go back and change your past. Personal strongholds are those things that because you hold on to them, they affect your future. You hold on to your mistakes. You hold on to your anger. You hold on to your guilt. They could be those things that are in the present. You're holding on to your pride so they affect the decisions you make, right? That's what a personal stronghold is. It's the things you hold on to to protect yourself that keep you from becoming who God would have you be. There are family strongholds. Among the fiercest strongholds, this is Mason again, says, I've seen our family strongholds. All families are dysfunctional. So let's start with that. All families are dysfunctional. So when you say, my family is dysfunctional, is everybody else like this? Yes, they are, okay? Then it says, but spiritual dysfunction results when unbiblical patterns emerge in a person's life because of family. If a family doesn't deal with issues biblically, the way family members respond to problems and challenges will be affected for the rest of their lives. We all know that broken homes tend to create broken people. Who am I kidding? Whole homes create broken people because none of us are perfect, okay? We're all broken. We're all going to make mistakes raising our kids. We're all going to make mistakes with our brothers and our sisters and our spouses. We're all going to do that. But we have a responsibility if we want to grow to try to minimize those mistakes. (laughs) You're going to make them. Yes, 
So I don't want this to turn into, I made a mistake, it's over. Remember, that's a personal stronghold we just talked about. You made a mistake, it happened, it's done, right? You own it, you fess up, you move forward. You don't dwell on what was. You worry about what can be, okay? Numbers chapter 14, verse 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. I really believe that's what a family stronghold is. Have you ever been in an argument with one of your kids and you say something and then you go, I'm turning into my father. I, I said something I said I would never say. Mine, the first time that happened to me was because I said so. Right? You're having an argument with a kid, and they're like, why, 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 why? And I could go for another 20 minutes if it's CJ. And, and then you go, because I said so. That's all you need to know, right? We're going to do things like that. But if we're doing things that teach our children how to treat our wives and it's poor, if I teach my child it's okay to raise their hand to their wife, then I'm creating a family stronghold. If I'm teaching my child that the only way to resolve an argument is to scream and throw things, then I'm teaching my child a family stronghold that will carry forward to the third and fourth generation. And so the decisions we have to make have to reflect what God would have us do rather than what sometimes what I want to do. Because I have to realize I have my own personal strongholds that bleed into my family strongholds that affect way more people than me. When someone says to me, why can't they just let me be angry? And believe me, I hear that a lot. I just want to be mad right now. Why can't, you, why can't I scream at people? Because you have no right to scream at people, Right? Because your personal stronghold doesn't need to become your wives or your kids or your husbands. There are screaming wives too. Screaming wives? There are screaming wives too. Okay. Your personal stronghold does not need to become a family stronghold. The thing is, you can't just cover it up. You've got to actually try to fix it. Okay? It won't go away if you just try to cover it up. You've got to destroy it. Destroy the strongholds. Is this thing on? It is. I better walk away. We'll walk to this side. All right. There are also cultural strongholds. That's the third one in this category. Cultural strongholds. Cultural strongholds are beliefs and practices that people groups hold in common as normal but are antithetical to the gospel. They are common, but they are not gospel. What are some cultural strongholds we suffer from? Any idea? Things that people call normal? that are not normal, that are not right. Homosexuality. That's a challenging one. In our day and age, there's a, there's a desire to make that normative and good. I'm not judging anybody. I am saying I can't get there when reading the Word of God. I can't get there. And let me tell you the truth. I would love to be able to get there. Because my, my goal, my job is to have everybody live in the light of God and the love of God. I want them all there. 
And if there are things that are stumbling blocks in the way, I'm happy to chuck those to the curb. But I can't get there on that one. But the world tries very hard to make that seem normal and good. Right? Something we should cherish and, and celebrate. There are many things in our world. That was a big one, Kathy. <laughs> there, there are many, many things in our world that the world would tell you are good and right and we should champion them. And the reality is they're not. They are strongholds that they want to hold on to. They are their identity. They are protecting their pride. They are all those things that we're trying to destroy right now as we talk today. They can also show up rather um, innocuously. I had a, a friend named Doug, Doug Davis. His, he, we were in a tri- he was in a tribe of believers that did communion every Sunday like clockwork, okay? Which I think has value too, but they did it every Sunday like clockwork. And it was in an old church with, this was before cars, right? With the win- I know, it's a long time ago. With the windows open and all kinds of stuff. And um, so when they put out the communion at the head of the table every day before church, every Sunday before church, flies would come, Right? That's normal. You've got juice and bread out. What's coming? Bugs, flies, right? So they would cover, his parents decided one day to cover the communion trays with um, cloth just to keep them, the flies off. Well, decades went by of them just because somebody said, hey, that's a good idea. Let's just keep doing that. So they did. 20 years later, it was no longer a cloth to cover it was now a symbol of the shroud that covered Jesus when he was buried. Really? When somebody suggested in their church that they should change that, that it really wasn't that, that we have windows now, we don't need to keep the cloth there anymore, right? We have air conditioning, the flies aren't everywhere. What happened, do you think? People flipped out. They lost their grips. They were like, you've got to be kidding me. That's the shroud of Christ. We can't pull that. It's a napkin (laughs) that was put there to keep flies off. Come on. But we do that. We develop cultural strongholds even within the church that we must be careful. We don't make more out of them than they need to be. We've developed at least a few in the church in the last... 50, 60 years that I don't really like. Um, in our world, we definitely see church as a Sunday morning thing. And, and that's what it is. It's Sunday morning for a couple of hours. Then we go home, and we all wave at everybody and say, I'll see you next week. If I read the, if I read the, the book of Acts and the description of what it means to be the church... I don't see I'll see you next week anywhere. I see I'll see you tomorrow. Or I'll see you later tonight at your house. Right? They broke bread how often? Daily. Daily. They prayed together how often? Daily. Daily. I really believe that if we as the church don't break cultural strongholds like that that have developed 
that we're inhibiting ourselves from becoming the people that God would have us become. Those are things that we have developed, and not just Gretna, understand that, that's the church, especially the Western church, but it's the church. We've minimized God, we put him in a box on Sundays. And we're building strongholds. Did you ever do a Sunday night service here? What happened when you dropped it? Huh? People quit coming. They said, we're done, we're out, because you dropped Sunday. I'm not sure that's something to fight over, but I would say if you're missing out on opportunities to meet together, maybe there's some merit in that discussion. And I'm not advocating for Sunday. I don't want to do two sermons. Okay? But if we are going to become the people that God wants us to be, we have to be willing to break those strongholds, including the ones within the body of Christ. When these things defined us, Rather than our transformation towards Christ-likeness, they are strongholds. When we are defined by um, whether or not we meet once a week or twice a week, rather than are we moving towards Christ-likeness, they're strongholds. I was part of a tribe before that was defined absolutely by the fact that they do not use instruments. That was their definition. We're the people who don't use instruments. That's a problem. That's a stronghold. And we have to be careful that we're not those people because we hold back the radiance of God when we make those our strongholds. We build the wall, brick by brick, piece by piece. Sometimes it doesn't even seem like it's happening, and then you look up one day and you can't see Jesus anymore. You can't see him in your church, or you can't see him in your life. You can't see him. Where'd he go? He's not here. He's never here. He's always been here. We're just build, busy building walls between us and him. We're protecting our pride. We're running to our refuge that is short of God because it gives us something we're looking for in the moment instead of thinking about the things of eternity. So what are the weapons? I keep saying we're going to talk about weapons. Well, let's talk about weapons for destroying these strongholds, for getting rid of these darknesses in our lives, for, for making a difference and making the change so that the radiance of God can grow within us. The first is simple. It's the Word of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, put on the full armor of God right? The full armor of God, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand, this is a lot of scripture, but I'm reading it anyways because it rocks. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of the faith, which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. 
The Word of God is our first weapon. I think it's interesting as you read that list, how many weapons were in there? One. The rest were defenses. These are things to protect you from the onslaught of evil around you. But there was one weapon for you to take it to the bad guys. It's the Word of God. Keith and I went to a concert on Friday night, and there was uh, two guys standing outside um, shaking a Bible and screaming at people and basically telling them they were all, right, bad, you're all going to hell, don't go watch this concert. I wanted to stop and go, it's a Christian concert, They're Christian. it's a Christian band headlining, but that's okay, I didn't go there. Um, I'm not saying that should be the way you use your sword. Am I saying if you're called to do that, maybe? I don't know. The prophets were not popular people, right? Jeremiah and Isaiah spent lots of time getting rocks thrown at them and being screamed at and yelled at because they were pronouncing things. So I'm not here to tell you that somebody standing up and shaking a Bible and screaming at you is a good or bad thing. I'm telling you, I don't think it's the right way to go about it. But I think if the Word of God is not present in your life and in those situations where things become difficult, you are missing your weapon. You are missing the thing that God has given you to fight evil. And you say, well, how does that work, Rob? I can't carry a Bible with me every day. Actually, in the day of cell phones, you sure can. You can carry one with you every day. But let's get past the cell phones and carrying it with you every day. Because every time somebody screams at you, you're not going to stop and go, wait a minute, there's a scripture for that. I've got to find that, and then I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Right? You're not going to do that. But if it's in here, and it's in here, and you've already decided how you're going to react to these things before it comes up, then you're well equipped. We talk a lot about that. I say that a lot. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Read the Word. If it hasn't increased yet, then you're leaving your sword at home. You're leaving your sword at home. And people say, this, there's so much here. I can't possibly memorize it. I'm not telling you to memorize it. Read it. People go lifetimes trying to figure this out, right? There's so much here. It's unbelievable. That's my favorite part about the book. In case you haven't figured this out about me, I like new things. I like trying new things. I like discovering new things. I like seeing new things. I get super excited when we try something new. So you got to watch me because I'll take off, right? I love those things. And that's one of the things I love about this text is if you really put your heart into it and if you really consider it and mull on it and chew on it and think about it, it will give you something new every single time you read it. Every single time it will give you something new. It is your strength. And if, you, if you're not reading it, if you're making excuses not to read it, I'm too busy today. Back to that person who forgot, who didn't study for their final before finals day. You had time to study three weeks ago, but you didn't. You had time to read yesterday, but you didn't. Yes? No? Silence either means people are asleep or it went right in the chest and they don't want to talk about it. I'm going to assume you're all asleep, okay? I think it's also interesting here that within that text, it talks about a gospel of peace. It's a gospel of peace. How many of you have had experience where the gospel brings peace? 
Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes when you're trying to spread the gospel, it does not bring peace. So I don't want to give you that impression that it's always going to be easy. Tell them about Jesus, they're going to convert, you're good. Going to go with no. Their personal strongholds are probably going to cause them to scream at you, yell at you sometimes, right? Fight you. I have family I've been trying to get to come to know the Lord for a decade. No dice. But it can, the gospel, this gospel of peace is designed to reconcile us with the Lord and the world with the Lord. It's to bring peace to a contentious relationship. If we do not have the one weapon we need to help bring peace, I don't know how you can expect peace. I see homes that are full of anger and angst. And people ask Heather and I, how do we get along? Because, you know, Heather and I are different people, but we have a really good marriage. I don't like to brag. I hate to brag. It's not me. It's, it's God. Because if, I, if, if Heather and I were left to our own devices, one of us would have been dead a long time ago. Probably me. She could take me, and I deserve it more often. But anyways... Because God is at the center, because the peace of God, the word of God, the gospel of God, we're able to navigate a whole lot of things that a lot of people can't. When I'm marriage counseling, I beat people up about it. <laughs> Are you reading? Are you studying together? Are you praying together? Are you doing those things that will build your relationship with God and keep him in the middle of it? Because that's where the peace comes from. The second thing you need, the second weapon, is the ears of God. You need the ears of God. Right after this section about the armor of God, Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me. I need prayer. I need you. I need your people. I need prayer to do this. Psalm 34, 17 through 22 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves those crushed in spirit. Have you ever felt crushed in spirit? Yeah. The one who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects his bones, and not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. See, we're supposed to build the wall, the armor. We're just supposed to build it with God on the inside with us and not God on the other side of the wall. See how that works? You're going to build a stronghold no matter what. The question is, what are you building it out of? And which side of the wall is God on? You want him on the side you're on, right? Or better yet, you want to be on the side he's on, right? Also out of Joshua, angel shows up and says, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? The angel says, what? I'm on God's side. Whose side are you on? Right? That's the question. The prayers, the ears of God are listening. The ears of God are open and ready. The question is, do we 
create a habit of praying to him or do we just pray to him when things go south? If somebody walks up to you on the street and tells you that um, you, um, your clothes are ugly, I'm making this up on the fly, so your clothes are ugly, random person on the street, what do you think? That's your opinion, right? Give them a raspberry and walk away, right? I don't know. But you don't give it a whole lot of credence. If my wife walks in the bedroom and looks at me and where I'm dressed and she goes, really? Really? Am I offended? Probably. But will I change my clothes? Yes, I will. I will totally change my clothes. Why? Because Heather and I have a relationship and I know that when she speaks to me, she speaks to me out of love and care and concern and not embarrassing her. But she does. <laughs> she speaks out of love and she speaks out of relationship. We all react that way. When somebody random tells you something, you don't, right? How do you, do you think God reacts that way? And this is just a question. If we never go to God except when we're angry or in dire need, do you think he listens as much as he does to those who are fervent and consistent in their prayer? I'm going to go with probably not. Can I say for sure? No. Because God does hear the cries of the downtrodden. He hears the cries of the hurting. He hears the cries of the people who have never known him. But Jesus always saved his harshest words for the people who claimed to know God and weren't acting like it. So my perspective on prayer is it has to be constant. It's not an afterthought. It's not a, oops, well, that's going wrong. I better pray. It's I've created a relationship and a bond with God and I talk to him, and he talks to me, and he is always with me. Then I'm capable of making the right choices because I'm supervised. The final one, and that's the final one, so look out, praise team, it's coming. Yeah. Um, is the people of God. The people of God are one of your weapons. Every one of these letters that Paul writes are written to the people of God to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another when things are not right. We need each other to transform. This is not a just me and God kind of we're praying together and do it all by myself. We need each other to transform. And that goes back to changing our culture of church being a Sunday thing. You can't change me if I only see you for 30 minutes once a week. You can't. You can't help me grow. Because I don't know you. I don't trust you. And you're not speaking into my life. But if I, I see you more often than that, I'm going to let you tell me my clothes are ugly. 
and I'm going to let you help me fix it. So in order to move forward and become the people God wants us to be, I've said it before, I'll say it again, we need to be around each other because you're my greatest hope. I need you. I need you. And sadly, you probably need me. Ha ha, sucker. I mean, okay. <laughs> Gregory stuck with me a lot. So, um, so you guys can come up now because I'm about done. Um, I would encourage you this week to destroy a stronghold in your life whatever that is. I would encourage you to get out your weapons, to learn the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to make it a part of who you are in your head and your heart and your soul. I would encourage you to pray. If your prayer life is not so dandy, I would encourage you to work on it. Pray every day. Get up every morning at 4 a.m. and pray. Well, you're still listening because y'all went, ugh, right? Okay. Well, then get up at 3.30. Really? Yeah, really. Make it a regular part of your life, not a crisis part of your life. And be willing to talk with the community of God about the things you need, the things you want, and to be willing to let people to speak into your life because that's how strongholds get destroyed. Is if you're willing to let somebody speak into your life and identify something that you are ignoring yourself, we can help you take care of it. And that's the way God designed it. Ready? Yep. Up we go! Father God, I thank you for this family of believers. I thank you for the beautiful, the beautiful people in this room. I pray that they will first recognize that they are your creations, that they are endowed with your strength and your light and your radiance powered by you. If only we are willing to tear down the walls we construct ourselves and allow you to work through us to allow you to shine through and to allow you to transform us in our brokenness to the people you would have us be. I pray that you'll give us strength and courage as we go through this week. You'll encourage each and every one of us to tear down some strongholds somewhere in our lives so that we can see you more clearly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor. Come on. I'm trying to move to the third one. You got to get the favor and give you rock on. All right. Off we go.